2: This is Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm an astrophysicist with the American Museum of Natural History, right here in New York City, where I also serve as the director of the Hayden Planetarium. And I have with me my co-host for this program, the one the only Eugene Merman. Eugene, Hello, welcome Neil. back. Welcome. Man. Back me. We so, we so tap your talents for this. Thank you, and this will not be the last. No. <laughs> for sure.
0: This would be a fun way to fire me. And you're still, okay. you're
2: still on uh, uh, one of the voices in Bob's?
0: I'm still one of the voices of Bob's Burgers, also not replaced. But
2: Bob's Burgers. Yeah. Burgers. We'll get back to Burgers. Burgers in a minute. Yeah. Today's show, by the way, is about like food and nutrition. So I combed the land. Then I found someone who actually has the title. Professor of Nutrition at New York University, Marion Nessel. Marion, welcome to Star Talk. I'm glad to be here. Thanks. I, think. I, I she think <laughs> Yeah, so you'll be the judge of that <laughs> later we'll find out. First, I, I'm intrigued and impressed that there's such a thing as a professor of nutrition so, so uh, I'm glad that somebody he has thought that. of
0: it like alchemy
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> no so well, no so there nutrition departments all over the country
2: never, no I just
3: never, never ran into that. I
2: never ran into one and I'm glad you were here oh. and ready for us oh, ready for you because in this episode of star Talk, we have my interview with Anthony Bourdain he's the famous TV yeah. chef, travel
0: chef writer. travel
2: chef in fact I got it you know first he had a a New York Times best-selling book mm-hmm. in their year two thousand, titled "Kitchen Confidential: Adventures in the Culinary Underbelly," best-selling book, All right.
3: which I understand is a very accurate account.
2: Excellent, excellent. So he's been around a while, and he had a long-standing Travel Channel show mm-hmm. called, of course, No Reservations, and he's moving from the Travel Channel mm-hmm. to CNN. Yeah. And he's gonna do a show, uh, Cuisines of the World. Yeah. So I just chatted with him about what made him tick, what got him interested in food. In particular, what intrigues me, and we'll get back to you on this in a minute, is just how cuisine can be so different around the world. What some people think is nasty, other people <laughs> think is extraordinary. And, and, and how people it's just a- eat differently around the world. So let's go yeah. to this first clip right away, and we'll have a lot of time to talk about it and carried into the other segments. My opening clip with Anthony Bourdain, chef extraordinaire. People always say, oh, I've been to this country and this food is a delicacy there. That's cute to me that the food tastes nasty or some bug that they pulled out of the ground and sauteed. So what, what's with people saying something is a delicacy?
4: Well, it's rare or expensive. You know, it's valued more than, you know, the way we look at shrimp or lobster or truffles as the good stuff. A lot of people in this world look at ingredients that many of us would probably have difficulty with. It's That's an attitude that changes really quickly the more you travel. Something I got over very quickly. Particularly, you know, you talk about, wow, their food in Thailand is really repulsive to me. I mean, they eat bugs. But the Thais, who were largely a non-dairy culture... Try to put yourself in their shoes. They're looking at us, you know, eat like cottage cheese or Roquefort would be truly (laughs) horrifying. And if you think about it for a second, what that must look like.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so you you get some milk and then like turn it into cheese and then let mold grow on it Then eat it. Yeah,
1: Yeah.
4: just hideous. (laughs) I I got over sort of uh, using words like bizarre a long time ago when looking at how other people eat around the world. But
2: what I do find interesting, though, is you go from one country to the next and... One of the simplest measures of this is what is the assortment of flavors that they infuse in their potato chips, mm-hmm. that some, yeah, for example, right? I mean, you know, so it, it, in Japan they have like fish yes. flavored potato chips. This, I mean, we eat fish here, mm-hmm. but I don't know that that would sell. There are whole spectrums of
4: flavors that other countries, other cultures, uh, take for granted and and require in their diet. Uh, the Philippines, there's a whole a bitter component that we are almost instinctively not happy with i mean they will they will introduce bile into dishes to give it a that welcome bitter note cultures like scandinavian cultures where there is a very limited spectrum of flavors not a lot of spices traditionally a lot of fresh fish fresh fish frozen fish more fresh fish maybe some preserved fish as well as south pacific cultures where it's all sort of sweet fresh fish not a lot of salty savory there's a tradition of rotting things, like fermenting fish, getting it really offensively funky by our standards, just because I think out of boredom. It introduces you know? another flavor. And it's worth noting also that we Western societies anyway used to used to do that. In Roman times, the condiment of choice was essentially something called garum, that was essentially rotten fish guts and rotten fish sauce. This was the salt, the principal seasoning ingredient all across Europe. So even our own tastes have changed for a lot of people the last frontier is the textural thing particularly in Asia they like you know squishy or even rubbery chewy or a lot of traditional European cultures you know cartilage texture that's something that we really have a problem with we tend to like crispy once you cross that border you you're really you're, you're someplace special to get back to your about delicacies and value a lot of I think a, you got to ask always is there a, an assumed medical component? to what we're talking about also i think a lot of what we consider the really freakiest foods the eye popping what the, why would you eat that a lot of that has either folk medicine or uh Digested. traditional chinese medicine applications or a regular feature in my life in china is if something arrives still wriggling or there's a sex organ involved it's usually accompanied by winking and banging on the bottom of the table like, this will make you strong you know many many sons you know it's like
2: Oh, God. Wow. So, Marion, I got to go straight to you on this. When we think of nutrition, I think of things that are tasty that might be good for me. And for so many of the cultures of the world, I don't know that they have an active science of nutrition, but they just simply know what has worked over the centuries, right? So is a person more likely to think that something tasty is actually nutritious?
3: Probably, um, but the point is that people eat what's available. You know, if you, before there were supermarkets Um, And before there was internet food, and before there was food on every corner, people had to eat what was available to them. So they learned to put together a diet that supported life, supported reproduction. So the empirics of that is
2: if you died, you didn't keep doing it. Yeah, they wouldn't
3: wouldn't be here if it hadn't worked.
2: (laughs) So so
0: wait, you were saying that that people would eat healthy you would think that some like you would think like ribs were delicious because they're were healthy because they're delicious. If you had them. If, if you had ha- them, you'd you be had like, this had this them. must be.
3: Because these people survive. These yeah. cultures survive. These populations survive. So it's self-selecting. Survived. Yeah. So it's self-selection. So and we know that healthy diets can be made out of almost anything as long as the foods yeah. are varied In and, India, you don't they eat too- and you don't drink a much of them. soup. Yeah, and you don't eat too much of them.
2: On that note, we'll come back to Star Talk Radio after this break. We're back on Star Talk Radio, and I've got Eugene Lerman. Hello. And this show yes. is about nutrition. So professor of nutrition here, yes. Marion <laughs> Nessel. Marion, thanks for being on Star Talk. Pleasure. Coming up from New York University. And in fact, you have a book just was published, Why Calories Count, from science to politics. How about That's that? That's awesome. Because calories do count. They do. So here we are talking about nutrition all around the world. And so here are people eating local foods. Mm-hmm. They're not thinking, does it have vitamin C, does it mm-hmm. have vitamin A? But if someone gets sick or the tribe doesn't continue, presumably they figured out that that diet wasn't good. Mm -hmm. And so over the generations, an emergent diet comes that happens to work
3: out. Mm You, if it you, didn't, they wouldn't be here. They wouldn't yes. be
0: here. That's Everyone what, who tried to just only eat dirt is dead.
1: <laughs>
3: That's yes.
1: right. All the,
0: <laughs> the religions and the people who just only... All just, the
1: cults and yeah, all yeah, the would days. like suck <laughs> on a weird
0: rock and be like, I still feel hungry.
2: They're all dead. They're all dead.
0: Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. we have now is French food and all right, a lot so, of Asian food.
2: So here in America, mm-hmm. I guess since the 1950s, but certainly in recent decades, fast food is a major part of the mm-hmm. American diet. It's everywhere. And then with the American cultural influence around the world, our fast food
3: restaurants are showing up in other
2: countries. Is that good? Is it bad? I mean, do you have an opinion on this?
3: It's business. There's only a certain amount that people can eat. Americans, they're maxed out on what they can eat. If these companies want to make money, they have to move it overseas. So and they that's can't make us doing.
2: fatter than we are. Yeah, yeah. We've hit I a think, fat, max. <laughs> fat max. And we
0: now need to make everyone in Vietnam fat. And then, we're working on it. Yes. <laughs> and then
2: when Earth is done with the yeah, next yeah. planet, right? All right, but fast food shouldn't necessarily make a person fat.
3: Not if they don't eat too much of if it, if they don't eat too much of it. So yeah.
2: the issue is not the existence of fast food, it's the regulation of the consumption of food.
3: Yes, and that turns out to be evolutionarily complicated because we have about a hundred physiological factors that encourage us to eat more and one or two... Because
2: historically on the
0: Serengeti, mm-hmm. that's survival. If yeah. you found a McDonald's in the Serengeti, you would be like, I'm gonna eat all I can. Every, because the next McDonald's is, is... Far away. Centuries away, possibly. <laughs> centuries
2: I away. had a brother-in-law no. who grew up in Alaska and every time we fed him, we said, do you want seconds? And he said, you never know when you're going to eat next. But the fact is, he does know when he's going to eat next. And it's in three hours when it's the <laughs> yes, next meal.
3: Right. So we're not very well tuned to the environment that we're in. And our physiology is much better at saying, eat, 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 eat. You're hungry. Better get the glucose to the brain quick. And much, much less effective at telling us when to stop. When to not eat. Alas.
0: We're like geese trying to turn ourselves into foie gras. <laughs> yes, <Yeah,
3: that's laughs> right. Banned that's, in California.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you're saying the ready availability of fast food is what's contributing to our inability to stop eating.
3: Yeah. The things that encourage people to eat more are having it right there. Mm-hmm. If we had candy here, we'd be eating it. The fact that you could eat it any time, night or day, uh, 24 seven. Cause you
2: got the refrigerator. That's got the food through the right. night mm-hmm. and there's a corner person selling you food, right. particularly in the cities. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: So that makes people make eat more. You make it sound like
0: gluttonous monsters
2: <laughs> surrounded by piles Whoa, of food.
3: We're just <laughs> encouraged so we're to not yeah. make Biologi- our, to exercise our physiology. Right. We're not
2: biologically <laughs> prepared for the world we've created around That's ourselves. Right. Right. That's right. You know, I spoke with Anthony Bourdain about this just to get his reaction to it. Let's find out what he said. So what about the idea of what, americans have done to some foods we put cheese in a can Mm -hmm. now maybe the cheese tastes okay but that's got to be an abomination to the cheese cultures of the world increasingly the french
4: are doing it too you know the great cheese making cultures by joining the eu have agreed to bastardize a lot of their traditional artisanal products like cured meats traditional forms of cheese making they've been killing their own products for years
2: is that Uh, not our influence our cultural
4: influence on them it's a combination of convenience food culture. Well, that's, uh, uh, who invented convenience uh, food? Well, America. I think it's a byproduct of post-war affluence, less time to kick back. Second World War. Yeah. <laughs> uh, specify yeah. for the current generation. Um, <laughs> people forget. They lose touch with their roots. They learn to demand newer, saltier flavors. So it's not just us, unfortunately.
2: So there's not only the concept of fast food, to which there's been this resistance, I guess they're calling it slow food, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, has has that movement caught on?
4: People certainly talk about or think about where their food's coming from a lot more, and not just at the elite foodie levels. People, even if they're not particularly knowledgeable about organics or sustainable or local or artisanal, all of those very fuzzy words, at least they're thinking about it now. You only need to look at like McDonald's has publicly forsworn any use of pink slime. Pink slime, it is not an ingredient according to the rules. It is a process that allowed ground beef manufacturers to essentially buy the outer cuts of beef that would otherwise previously have had to be discarded or used for pet food because they were more likely to come in contact with hides, excrement other animals, and contain E. coli. They found but by introducing, as I understand it, an ammonia vapor, basically steaming this stuff, whipping it into a mulch-like paste with bits of extruded fat, mixing it into this slime, and processing it with ammonia, that they were able to bring the likelihood of E. coli down. Now, it doesn't sound like good stuff. For sure and there was clearly a backlash though not a huge one the the fact that McDonald's and other major uh, retail outlets are saying we're not using it anymore it's not like they're nice guys they're looking pretty far into the future and seeing that this is going to come back and bite us we're saving money now or making money now but this could really come back and hurt our brand so clearly that's one of many indications of this sort of thinking affecting the marketplace, you know?
2: Yeah, so it wasn't, like you said,
4: it was not a separate ingredient because it was still beef. Well, that's up to you to decide whether <laughs> the introduction of an ammonia vapor or whatever is an ingredient or a process. Personally, I would like to know if there's
2: ammonia in my cleaning product, <laughs> in my meat. <laughs> All right, so this is kind of America's hallmark. I mean, agribusiness, growing production and storage technologies, I think America has led the world in this. We have. We're but, spending. But, I've looked this up recently. We're spending... A third today of our annual budget on food compared with what we were doing in the 1950s. Our
4: single largest privately held company is a food producer. I think Cargill is the biggest American privately held company.
2: And so we have making more food on less land with fewer farmers than ever before. No doubt about it. You know, frozen food, uh, surely
4: a good thing, most of these things. But, you know, with the good comes the bad. And the bad might be that it is in the financial interest of some very large, powerful companies that you continue to eat badly and too much. And they're gonna spend a lot of money, as any company will do, to make you continue to buy their products. And a lot of these products are not ideal staples of any diet. We need only look at the way Americans look and the state of our health to see that that's the truth.
2: So is processed food bad? I like French fries. I like burgers. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, I burned last night. It's a. Ma- it's not like cigarettes. It's a matter of proportion. It's not you can't eat it. It's you can't eat too much of it. <laughs> uh huh. That's hard.
2: So it is so good and so cheap. It makes it that much harder to regulate. Mm.
3: And the politics come into how come it's so cheap.
2: Okay. So what? What's an example of that?
3: We subsidize corn and soybeans. We don't subsidize broccoli.
0: And soybeans, what do we do with that that's so bad Uh, for
3: people? Soy oil, it goes into processed foods. So
2: what's your solution to this? Is it to make food more expensive? Is it to change the availability of it? Mm -hmm. What's the solution Yeah,
3: You want to change the environment in order to make it easier for people to eat more healthfully. That's what Mayor Bloomberg is trying to do with his 16-ounce soda cap.
2: He's trying to outlaw 20-ounce sodas in the city. Yeah, Uh, he's
0: trying to make fat people illegal, which I
2: think is a good (laughs) thing. So are you
3: over that line? Are you I, you ready? I don't that?
0: drink a lot of soda. I'm just a regular fat person. <laughs> uh, but I think that band sounds pretty good. But what if we subsidize parsley? It's not a
3: ban. It's a, car, it's yeah, a, yeah, a it's
2: cap. Yeah, yeah. It's a cap. It's a cap. Uh, so if there is a, p- a public good that mm-hmm. laws can serve because somebody out there is more concerned about your health than you are.
3: Yes, because they have to pay for it. Right. If something goes wrong.
2: Right. The insurance base, the tax yeah. base. I mean,
3: there have been estimates. I don't know how good they are. That overweight costs America $190 billion a year. Yeah. I don't want to go to Mars twice for that. I would hope so. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and imagine
0: if the trip was full of people who were overweight. <laughs> the, the savings combined with shipping <laughs> wow. away the problem. That's a double. Plus the exploration It's <laughs> just like I'm full of solutions.
2: <laughs> so Lately, fast food has been fortified in ways, so you are getting vitamins and minerals and things. Isn't oh, it that
3: right? has vitamins and minerals and protein and other kinds of nutrients. It's not sodas. Sodas are the only thing that have calories and no nutrients. And no nutrients, yeah. Um, okay. And so, alcohol, sorry.
2: Okay, so... You think
0: there's no, there's no nutrients?
3: There's no... Not no. even whiskey? <laughs> Especially whiskey. <laughs>
0: what about red wine? <laughs> no. It makes pregnant people run faster? <laughs> isn't that true? That's
2: true. <laughs> when we come back to Star Talk Radio... We're, more with my interview with Anthony Bourdain. We're talking about nutrition around the world, food around the world. More on Star Talk Radio when we come back.
1: Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you.
2: We're back on Star Talk Radio, and I'm with Eugene Merman. Hello. And I've got Professor Marian Nestle, spelled like Nestle, I guess, but without the without accent. Without
3: the accent. No there you relation. go.
2: Too bad, right? Yes. She's professor of nutrition at New York University. She's thought a lot about a lot about this, and not only nutrition in general, but the role of food and its impact on culture and politics. And in fact, you've got a book out called "Why Calories Count: From Science to Politics." Excellent title. Check it out. So. What's interesting is different regions of the world have different diets, and you can look at how long those people live Mm -hmm. and say, hey, maybe something's going on in their culture that's not going on in my culture. They've talked about the Mediterranean diet that is high in, I guess, olive oils and things. There's the Japanese, uh, broadly the Asian diet, which is very uh, low-fat, high-carbs. Let's hear what Anthony Bourdain had to say about it, then we come back and get some of the science of why that may or may not be true. Let's check it out. Tell me about these diets, we call them diets, but it's just the mainstay mm-hmm. culinary offerings in in various parts of the world. There's a lot spoken of the Mediterranean diet or the Japanese diet, yep. and they live a long time. Heart disease is low. From your life experience, is all that true? No doubt about it. I mean, you you go to Crete, for instance. Well, I guess we know it's true, but look, if you're, if are we going to credit the food or because there's no stress oh, or be- because... Uh, how big a factor is the food?
4: I'm guessing there's... You know, you're a Vietnamese rice farmer. There's... You're working hard, You're you are know, Well, you are working hard and there's, there is stress in your life. Uh, okay. especially if you've been through three or four wars in the yes. last 30 years. Yes. All right. Uh, I don't think that's it. I think clearly the ratio in much of the world, the ratio of, you know, I'm a confirmed carnivore, but clearly there's something to be said for cultures where the ratio of meat, of protein to, uh, to fresh vegetables, uh, is completely different. Ours is distorted. Um, much of the cultures we're talking about, they use meat or bone or a, or protein almost as a flavoring ingredient. Very careful, much more valued. A condiment. Um, yeah. You have delicious, for the most part, vegetables. A st- generally, a, st- a filler like starch, like whether it's rice or cassava or or potato, wherever it is. Clearly, it has an impact on on on
2: you know, what your body looks like and and how long you're going to live. You know, no doubt about it. All right, now, you're you're over six feet tall. In Japan, people hardly get that height. Mm-hmm. So is it a trade-off between that kind of diet and whether you grow tall? Well,
4: uh, I don't think it's a trade-off we make anymore because they're getting taller and bigger. There's no doubt about it. As, as they become fonder of Western food and processed food, I mean, the same thing's happening there as here, uh, the bulking of of, of the world. But I think, uh, yeah, there clearly is. I mean, one of my favorite, I, you know, I, I'm not particularly well inclined. I, as, as much as it might be good to eat more vegetables and less animal protein, I'm not particularly well inclined towards really hardcore, unwavering of vegans. So one of my favorite uh, statistics is that apparently vegans in non-industrialized cultures seem to do very much better than vegans in industrialized cultures and people were trying to figure out why that was, why they're living longer and seem healthier. And apparently, the insect parts and uh, carcasses uh, in rice uh, much higher in non industrial cultures. And it's, so, left
2: in, it's left in the product.
4: Uh, yeah, so basically, they're getting a lot more animal protein, <laughs> insect protein. We're, we're flicking away the insects out of our vegetables. They're very high in, in protein bugs, by the way. People eat
2: those for a reason. <laughs> So, you know, I happen to know separately that little people live longer than Mm -hmm. big people. Mm -hmm. So if you have a culture where everyone's little, then maybe it doesn't matter what they eat. Leave them alone.
0: That's (laughs) why babies live forever.
2: (laughs) So... Uh, in 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 certain cultures, their, people are just smaller. Maybe that's the biggest driver for their longevity. Or is there much truth in these diets that, uh, oh, what can you the say? The
3: statistics all show that there are plenty of countries in the world that have much lo- better longevity than we do. And they tend to have in common that they eat more plant foods fruits and vegetables and grains, and they don't eat as much meat, and they don't eat as much junk food. And as the American fast food and soda companies- It's not just fewer calories. It's the actual mixture of- It has a lot to do with calories.
0: It's just harder to eat so much parsley that it's as many calories as a burger. I've tried,
3: I've tried. It's really hard to get fat on parsley. (laughs) You have to eat roomfuls of it. It's really tough. Now,
2: Now Buddha, last I checked, was a vegetarian, and he's generally shown as quite Chubby. chubby yes but yeah.
3: everybody was bringing him rice offerings. All yeah, okay.
2: Day he had a on. very high carb diet. Yeah, yeah all right. And That's all the day reason. On. Okay, so so you're prepared to say that if in America if we want to live longer, cut the meat. Uh,
3: cut cut the calories. Oh, cut the calories. Cut the calories <laughs> and change <laughs> the balance
2: of the meat. And change
3: the balance. Yeah. Eat more fruits and vegetables, don't eat so much junk food. Uh, balance calories and love what you're eating.
2: What does that do for that's
3: you that's my advice
0: <laughs> Love, meaning eat find ways to make fine. foods that aren't burgers delicious
3: yeah or just make sure that you enjoy what you eat
0: <laughs> burger is the, the reference needs. frame I, for I all I don't, even, I don't even i don't even i mean you i know, burgers are totally food
3: fine is one of great life's greatest pleasures. yeah you should enjoy it and not make it your enemy it, makes it me should so be
0: your friend to
3: be friends
0: <laughs> right food befriend your friend food you're like yoda <laughs> you're like befriend food eat it
2: When we come back, more of my clips with Anthony Bourdain (laughs) and my in-studio guest, Marion Nestle, and of course, Eugene Merman. Be right back. We're back. Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your host. Find us on the web at startalkradio.net. You can download our archives of shows. Great stuff there. And not only that, we're on Facebook. Like us there. Just Star Talk Radio. You'll find us. And we tweet Star Talk Radio. Of course. Eugene, you tweet. Yes. At Eugene Merman. Yes. M-I-R-M-I-N. M-A-N. And my special guest today, right up I off- tweet. You tweet? Nice. I do. A tweeting nutritionist.
3: Marion Nestle. Marion Nestle. Oh, Marion Nestle. came out of that word. previous segment, I called you
2: nestle i I'm sorry. Perfectly odd. I can't be the no first relation. one. No relation, you're not the first. And I'm not the no. first.
3: And you won't be the and last.
2: And I surely won't be the last. <laughs> By the way, we're also on the Nerdist channel of YouTube. Check us out in video form. So we're featuring my interview with Anthony Bourdain. Yeah, He gets around, he makes great food, he eats food that is prepared all around the world, and an intriguing subject, as you know, because not everyone eats the same way. My great disappointment, traveling America is the same restaurants are in the same places. And I asked him about food that's sort of good or bad, you know, I mean, you can make that judgment, I suppose. You mean like morally? Because <laughs> he travels the world. I mean, when you travel, you eat different foods. Yeah, yeah. So I asked him, what kind of good food did he have? What kind of bad food? No, just what, oh, what did he taste good. Yeah, yeah. Tasted good, didn't taste good, that's yeah, yeah. all. But might be a delicacy in its land. So let's right. find out what he said.
4: The fermented fish in Iceland is something I will never, ever be able to really, even many people in Iceland, probably even the majority. It, it's a celebrated national dish that they eat on their holidays, and it's basically rotten, sharp. I'm not going to be visiting that again. I could choke down anything to be a good guest. The Really, the only real problems are when it's a matter of freshness, you know, when it's a really poor culture with very limited access to ingredients. You have a there, hearty digestive system? I mean. Yeah, but I mean, uh, the two times that I've, I've been brought down and lost a day's work were both tribal situations, the whole tribe looking at me it's it's bushmeat it's whatever protein they could scrounge it's not in good shape there are cleanliness issues you I, took
2: one for the team now. i absolutely did Oh my did. gosh, <laughs> the
4: surprises are everywhere eating street food in asia changed my life it ru- ruined my life in wonderful ways when you've had a really well-made bowl of spicy noodles in vietnam even out of a chipped bowl on a low plastic stool in the street your old breakfasts just won't cut it anymore. You cannot go back to be the person you were before when you've experienced some of the degree of spice, complexity, and even a little bit of pain. There's an element of sadomasochism in some of that food that's kind of disturbing and yet uh, enticing.
2: Good and bad food around the world. I mean, this was parodied in or captured in the Indiana Jones yeah. The second of those,
0: where the he has soup. to eat the b- little boy's heart. I can't remember
2: what no. happens. <laughs> <laughs> that's when they pull the heart out. Do they yeah. give him yeah. the Icelandic shark they that's shield monkey brain and soup. eyeball soup. And oh. so are these real foods out there—they must be.
3: Uh, whatever they're if they're being served, they're obviously real food. Yeah. Unless they're trying to get you.
0: <laughs> it's do they do that? <laughs> and if you protect- go somewhere, they're like, "We eat brains all the time." Oh, and they're they like, "No, we
2: don't." We don't. <laughs> So is there study on the nutritional analysis of all these exotic foods?
3: Absolutely. And what do you guys find? I mean, I guess they have. Nutrients. All foods have nutrients.
2: At the end of the day, they're just eating something that was once alive. That's right. How, how good are sweetbreads for you? Would you say?
3: Um, I think in small quantities, I wouldn't. It's neither sweet about nor is it all. bread. No, it's but neither it's neither sweet nor bread. Sure,
2: it's organ meat yeah. of mammals. Yeah. But if
3: a tiny Some bit of it would,
0: will make you strong and fast and outrun people w- drinking red wine, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't you?
3: Wouldn't you <laughs> I'm, just, love that.
0: I'm just trying to have you go like most people don't know this, but eating butter in the morning is very good for you. <laughs> <laughs> like, why won't you tell me this?
2: Because <laughs> they've got their yeah. safe from secrets because uh, yeah, yeah. I'm down one the... of these
3: people who thinks it's okay to eat whatever you like as long as you vary it and don't eat too much of it right
2: all right so mm. the foods that are really horrendous is do you think there's something it must be cultural I, I mean a learned yeah. taste buds is yeah that...
3: yeah I mean if everybody if you grew up on eating sweetbreads all the time you would think it was a great delicacy if you grew up on eating crickets all the time you would think it was a great Definitely. You'd be right about
2: sweetbreads,
0: but wrong about crickets. Wrong <laughs> I'm just saying. There
3: you are. Just, That's cultural. Just to relativism. give
0: a
2: world blanket statement, yeah. whether or not Americans are the right answer to this question, hold it aside. What country in the world has the worst health?
3: The worst health.
2: Yes, excluding America. Yes.
3: Oh, I would say the countries that are poorest. So poorest. Poorest countries.
0: So poorest, and then the fattest.
3: Yeah, that's right. good. Go
0: porous, porous Fetties. <laughs> and then just and like vegetarian Asians. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and what's happening, in, right, you all. know, and what's happening the developing countries now is that as everybody gets a little money, they start eating more.
0: They just, but then they just eat, start eating like Kit Kats and, and stuff. And they
3: start <laughs> eating like we do. And yeah. they put on weight and develop type 2 diabetes. And there it goes. It even has a name. It's called the Nutrition Transition.
2: Nutrition Transition. Where it goes from Hungry to diabetes, type 2 diabetes.
3: In one fell swoop. When we come
2: back, Star Talk Radio, we're talking about nutrition. My clips with Anthony Bourdain. We'll see you in a moment. Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. I got Eugene Merman, and Professor of Nutrition Marian Nessel.
3: The verb, not the chocolate.
2: Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Nestle, that would be. <laughs> is that what it says on your card? <laughs> the, <laughs> the verb, not the chocolate. <laughs> the it verb. Not the chocolate. Uh, we've been featuring my interview with Anthony Bourdain, the, yeah. the TV chef and world traveler, tasting exotic foods, and uh, just interesting to hear how he got to where he is. Everyone's got a story. He's got a story, yeah. and the story surprised me entirely. I had no idea this was in his. I guess I could have done my homework, but I wanted yes. it all to be fresh. Like it surprised you because you didn't Google. <laughs> because I didn't Google. It. <laughs> but no, but it was all very fresh, and, and it was a, it was a, it was a delightful uh, success story. Let's let's check out what he said, What he tells us. I well, was there angry, uh,
4: embittered, uh, spoiled. Uh, I was a bad kid. Where did you grow up? Grew up in New Jersey in the suburbs, right across the river. Uh, (laughs) What exit? I was just very disappointed with the way that the 60s turned out. And uh, I was a bitter, uh, self-destructive, drug-seeking kid who really had a hard time uh, finding anything to believe in. And I found a home the way that a lot of people find a home in the military I found a home in the restaurant business. I mean, this was a, a world of absolutes that I responded to. I, I liked the science of, to me, it was a revelation working as a dishwasher. Why? Because plates went in dirty and they came out clean every time. And if I did my job of washing dishes, I got the respect of hardworking people in the kitchen. And that made me feel proud of myself in a way I never had before. Uh, I'll tell you really, so that was really a tr-
2: that, transitional.
4: Transitional. I went from a very unhappy, self destructive college kid, a college your, dropout, your to a was guy with a.
2: Washing dishes?
4: Yes. Absolutely. And I live by those. The lessons I learned as a dishwasher uh, were the most important of my life. Show up on time. Have the like of a book. Bed. Have the. Lessons I learned washing dishes. I've written that book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, and then at age 44, I found, my, found myself uh, standing. Uh, broke but reasonably happy uh next to a deep fryer at a restaurant in new york and i i'd written a a, an obnoxious over testosterone account of my life that i didn't think anyone would buy and suddenly i found myself on the bestseller list and my life literally changed in the space of a week from a guy who never thought he'd see saigon much less rome to somebody who's now been traveling uh, for the last 10 years, e- anywhere I want to go in the world, doing pretty much whatever I please. So, uh,
2: not to overinterpret what you just shared with me, but the fact that your life transformed at age 44 mm-hmm. that's extraordinary. Look at how many people give up long before then, saying, Look, I'm, I'll never make anything in my life.
4: I never had health insurance. I'd never uh, owned a car, I'd never owned a home, uh, I never paid my rent on time, I owed the IRS 10 years of back taxes, I went to sleep every night uh, hyperventilating from fear for well, who's gonna call first the landlord credit card company or the uh, you know uh, the IRS. Uh, I had no hope of ever changing that situation and that was good by previous year's standards so it came as a big 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 surprise to me to suddenly have the freedom to see this world and do the things that I'm able to do with the people I do it with, I think it makes me uh, grateful in a way that I I might not be had it happened earlier.
2: So who would've thought food can change somebody's life that way? It was an extraordinary story.
4: Yeah,
0: I was the dishwasher for like a year, but I didn't realize I could do this. I have six years before I'm his age and have to have accomplished the same stuff. <laughs> got to keep but, at it. Keep working at yeah, it. Yeah, keep, yeah. Keep, keep,
3: you have to work on uh, the
2: dishwashing. A little I know. I feel like I learned idea. a lot, but not quite as much. <laughs> so, Marion, I think most people who care about their health have either only a pseudoscientific understanding of nutrition or no understanding at all. So uh, you you've got to be disappointed. Present company (laughs) excluded. You've got to be disappointed with the state of knowledge out there.
3: No, I'm disappointed with the state of science and knowledge in general.
2: In general, yeah, Um, yeah. It's just one aspect of it all. Well,
3: it's an aspect that hits people personally. We put food in our bodies, and that makes it extremely personal. And it's some
2: combination of protein, carbohydrates, fat.
3: Yeah, I mean, nutrition's complicated. There are probably fifty different components in food that we need in order to survive and it's hard to keep them track and to keep track of them and you don't know what's in food. Can I live off of any one of them if I wanna just go all no, protein? No, 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 variety, variety. variety. You couldn't live it's off of just secret. Diet Coke. <laughs> It would be very difficult. <laughs>
0: for how long do you think if you just drank Diet Coke would you uh, live it? Like, like two months, we, uh, a year? Uh, a couple,
3: actually a it's months. probably very close to seventy days. Seventy days. 70 just days. diet coke. Yeah. If you well, it has no calories sources. It has no calories and no nutrients, so it's just oh, like water. Yeah. So, so you'd like, also
0: have to eat bugs.
3: So it's the equivalent of water and there've been studies, the Irish hunger strikers, for example, um, you know, they, they were very carefully studied and on average they lived about seventy days. One they decided not to eat anymore.
2: Wow. Okay, so the Diet Coke experiment, proxied with water, would do that.
3: Yeah, and if they ate something, then they would have lived longer.
2: Right, right, right. So, we got to wrap up this hour. It's been uh, it an awesome conversation yeah. about food and diet. You've been listening to Star Talk Radio, and I've had Eugene Merman. You've seen him and heard him before. And of course, uh, Professor Marion Nessel. Uh, thanks for being on Star Talk Radio.
3: A hey, pleasure. My is,
2: and contributing to the information surrounding my interview with Anthony Bourdain. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your host. You've been listening to Star Talk Radio, a show brought to you in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. And as always, I bid you to keep looking up.